In my latter-day career as a PR flack, nothing I've written has ever matched its persuasive sincerity. Then again, I'm no longer paid to be sincere. I'll be coming down from Maine for the university lecture anyway, the master continued, so why don't we give it a try? I could barely draw breath to answer. Why such excitement over a mere scribbler? I should explain. Not only was Lemaster the world's premier espionage novelist, but he'd also been a spy for sixteen years at the height of the Cold War, back when spying was a glamorous profession. Our Le Carré, the American critics called him, although to my mind Le Carré was their Lemaster. But for me, the appeal went further and was deeply personal. Having grown up as a foreign service brat, I had come of age in the very capitals where Lemaster set his plots, at the very moment in history when they were unfolding. In those days, to walk the night streets of Berlin, of Prague, of Vienna, of Budapest, was to imagine that mysterious and exciting events were occurring just around the corner. And sometimes they were. My father, also a fan, first put a Lemaster novel in my hands when I was twelve, as the antidote to a gloomy Saturday in Prague in 1969. Within days, I was pillaging his shelves for the equally timely glories of John le Carré, Len Deaton, and Adam Hall. Eventually, I turned to earlier classics by Maugham, Buchan, Ambler, and Green. I even read the 1903 Erskine Childers book that supposedly gave birth to the modern spy novel, The Riddle of the Sands, its pages haunted by the knowledge that the author had eventually been hanged as a spy. My father had them all, a painstakingly assembled collection of more than 200 espionage first editions, most of them signed by the author. Whenever we moved, and in the diplomatic corps that happened about every three years, the books were my backdoor passage to our new home, with the characters as my escorts. At a moment in history when other American boys were memorizing batting averages and home-run totals, I was steeping myself in the lore of fictional spies. They were my maze, mantle, and maris, and I aspired to emulate them. To be a spy was to survive by your wits in a dangerous foreign landscape, to seek to know everything about others while revealing nothing of yourself. An arrested adolescence in which you merited your country's highest trust even as you traded in its deepest duplicity. And the writer I always returned to with the greatest anticipation was Lemaster, who seemed more willing than the rest to take me into his confidence. He declassified the world I lived in, elegantly parting the curtains in all their varying shades of gray. So perhaps now you can understand why his promise of an interview left me momentarily at a loss for words. Bill, he prompted, are you there? Great, I finally managed. That would be great. Chancellor Stewart has kindly offered the use of his conference room. Shall we say four o'clock? Perfect. At least I'd moved on from great. In the meantime, uh, Lenore will send you an advance copy of my latest. See you next week. Wouldn't miss it for the world.
Wouldn't miss it for the world had I actually said something so trite? I blushed as I hung up, and for the next hour I half expected Lenore to call back to cancel. Then, determined to make the most of the opportunity, I began finding out all I could about Lemaster's life and times. The basics were already known to me. He was divorced, childless, eldest son of a Wall Street lawyer. Groton, 51, Yale, 55. Then two years as a Rhodes Scholar at Oxford, where he became an incurable Anglophile before joining the CIA in 1957. Served throughout Europe, began writing novels while still an agency employee. Left the CIA in 73, a month after his third book became a bestseller. I figured there would be plenty more, but in those days before Google and YouTube, it was far easier to maintain a low profile.